This is Earth Files, the award-winning news site with the latest updates in science, environment, and real X-Files. Podcasting in-depth reports beyond the 6 o'clock news by Emmy Award-winning journalist Linda Moulton Howe. Hi, everyone here in the United States and around the world, from me and from Chocolate and Fluffy and Brad and Ian and Eric and those of us who work on Earth Files each week. We love uh, doing this work for you. And I want to thank all of you here tonight at the Earth Files YouTube channel. It's the last evening of November 2022, nearing New Year's 2023. And I hope this will finally be the year that reality is unclassified and humanity learns Earth is not the only planet with biological life in this universe. And I also hope that we learn that our human brains, our consciousness, resonate with different frequencies in this cosmos. That's why remote viewing from Earth to a planet like Jupiter can theoretically access other realities and teach us long distance truths. An example of that happened only a few months ago in June 2022. Since midsummer, NASA headlined from its Juno mission, quote, Jupiter is up to 9% rock and metal, which means it ate a lot of planets in its youth, close quote. New data confirms that Jupiter is up to 9% rock and metal. Further new research by international astronomers has found that Jupiter's swirling surface has strong jet streams that extend 1,800 miles down into the planet, where there are as much as 30 Earth masses worth of metals, and there might even be metallic mountains. And that goes back 49 years ago to April 27, 1973. The National Security Agency, the NSA, asked controlled remote viewers Ingo Swan and Harold Sherman to do, quote, an experimental psychic probe of the planet Jupiter, close quote. And then in 2008, 35 years after that experiment, the NSA approved for release the remote viewing transcript. There are many pages, but here are a few of Ingo Swan's April 1973 comments from their Jupiter remote viewing for the National Security Agency. Quote, There are crystals. They glitter. Maybe the stripes are like bands of crystals, distinctly yellow, Inside those cloud layers, they look beautiful from the outside. From the inside, they look like roiling gas clouds, eerie yellow light, rainbows. And then I came through the cloud cover. The atmosphere of Jupiter is very thick. The horizon looks orangish or rose-colored. The whole thing seems enormously flat. But there is an enormous mountain range about 31,000 feet high. Those mountains are huge. The surface of Jupiter will give a high infrared count." Close quote. And now, 49 years later in 2022, 
New research by international astronomers has found that Jupiter's swirling surface has strong jet streams that extend 1,800 miles down into the planet where there are as much as 30 Earth masses worth of metals, and that maybe Ingo Swan's remote viewing of a 31,000-foot-high mountain range on Jupiter will be proved a reality. In addition to a 31,000-foot-high mountain range, below the Jupiter clouds, Ingo Swan also remote viewed in 1973 that Jupiter has a ring of dust around it, that Jupiter does have a magnetic field, that Jupiter does have many, many layers of cloud banks in its atmosphere, each made from different chemicals. And all of those facts have now been confirmed. And one of my best friends and colleagues and a friend to Ingo Swan was Jim Mars, who took controlled remote viewing to the general public in his 2007 book, Psy Spies, the true story of America's psychic warfare program. Jim's book is about talented remote viewers who work for the CIA, DIA, and NSA. Jim was born and raised in Fort Worth, Texas, and began news reporting right out of college for Texas newspapers, ending up at the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, where he was an investigative reporter. Then, in 1989, his first book was released called Crossfire, about the John F. Kennedy assassination. Soon, Hollywood film director Oliver Stone optioned Crossfire for a film that became JFK. And then Jim wrote more books about UFOs and ancient history that also became New York Times bestsellers. Jim became convinced that the U.S. government was deliberately blocking truths to keep the highly strange UFO enigma files away from the public and media. Sadly, he became ill and suffered untimely death on August 2, 2017, at his home in Springtown, Texas. Ten years before, in 2007, his book Psy Spies about remote viewing UFOs and non-humans on Earth was blocked from printing by unknown forces. Whatever the agenda of the non-humans, I was very interested in the fact that the remote viewers, in some cases, extending themselves into things like futures of this planet. Right. Some of the military trained remote viewers were tasked to look into the future and find out what the future looked like. And what they saw were people living underground and people living in domed cities to protect themselves from a harsher environment, apparently due to increased solar activity and a continuing depletion of the ozone layer. Interestingly enough, they also saw in this grim future the fact that humans were working in conjunction with extraterrestrials. And they saw the sky was strided and was multi-hued. It was like there were chemicals in the air. And one of the things that made a very definite impression on me was that the Sci-Spies said when they look backwards in time, everything's pretty fixed and everything's pretty solid. It's already happened. There it is. But when they look into the future, the farther into the future they try to look, the more blurry things become. And this is pretty interesting to me because this would seem to indicate that the future is not etched in stone. 
and that the future is in a state of flux, and therefore we still have the opportunity to change our future by changing our actions in the present. It does not make sense that our government would not still have professional remote viewers working right now. Absolutely. What they have done is, number one, they have taken individual remote viewers and embedded them within various groups and organizations. For example, I understand they have a remote viewer in the Navy SEALs. They have at least one remote viewer in the Army Rangers. And this only makes sense because what military commander would not want somebody near at hand who might at least possibly give him some indication on what's over the next hill. I also understand that there are remote viewers embedded in various other government organizations, and they also are contracting out to former SASPIs, many of whom are now teaching and have a cadre of students on hand, and they get a contract to go work a session, and then they get the raw data from their viewers, and then they feed the data back to their government sources. And in this way, the government has plausible deniability. And I wondered if you could now explain what seems to me one of the most important parts of the entire history of spies in your book, that Ingo Swan went out to Jupiter before we had been there with spacecraft. Could you summarize what he had seen in remote viewing before our spacecraft were there. Right. Well, in the early 70s, Ingo Swan remote viewed the planet Jupiter, and he wrote down, and it was filed and certified, that he said Jupiter has a small ring around it and that Jupiter has a weak but nevertheless present magnetic field, that there are cloud banks, and under the cloud banks he could see large craggy mountains And, of course, at that time, nobody had gotten a good look at Jupiter, and nobody knew any of that. So it was just a great big, huh, from the science community. But almost 10 years later, when Voyager space probes went out there and began to transmit back data from Jupiter, it was reported in reliable scientific publications. Jupiter had a small ring around it. It had a present magnetic field. They could detect cloud banks. So it took almost 10 years, but here came the feedback to show that Ingo Swan's remote viewing of Jupiter had been dead on. Another thing, the most astounding feedback detailed in SASPIES is that when the Mars Observer was lost, I immediately picked up the phone and called some of the remote viewers that I'd been dealing with, and I said, hey, what happened to the Mars Observer? And the Mars Observer had just gone into orbit around Mars, and they had high hopes that it was going to photograph and look closely at almost the entire surface of the planet, and then all of a sudden it's just like they lost contact and it went away. I said, what happened? And they said, well, the same thing that happened to the Phobos II. Well, the Phobos II was sent by the Soviets in the late 80s, and it too was lost as it went into orbit around Mars. And remote viewers had already checked that out, and what the remote viewers saw was that a circular object rose from the surface of Mars, came out to meet the Phobos II, scanned it with some sort of electromagnetic energy, a beam, if you will. Now, none of this was hostile activity. It was described to me like the tugboat coming out to greet the Queen Mary. But 
once it scanned the Phobos II, it realized it wasn't part of its system, so the object turned around and went back to the surface of Mars. But in scanning the spacecraft, it scrambled the onboard computer, and controllers lost control over it, and eventually the spacecraft burned up in the atmosphere as it crashed. So there was a heck of a story. But then in the early 90s, a Soviet cosmonaut was visiting in the United States in a news conference in San Francisco. She held up one of the last photographs taken from the Phobos II, and it showed a circular object approaching the craft. Again, amazing feedback for something the Sci-Spies had seen. But, Jim, wouldn't that imply that there is now current intelligence on Mars, underground, or someplace that is releasing probes? Absolutely. And this leads further credence to the argument that, beginning with the face on Mars in the Cydonia region, that NASA has gone to extreme lengths to cover up this fact and to hide away and to alter photographs and alter documents and everything else. The idea that they are keeping secrets about UFOs and about activity on Mars and perhaps the moon, that's been a long-standing narrative within the UFO research community, and, and this only tends to confirm that. How have we managed then to get the mock camera and the spacecraft that are going around Mars currently in air, as well as Spirit and Opportunity rovers on the surface of Mars? could be that whoever's on Mars, now they know that we're sending things there, so maybe they've dug deeper underground, or they don't come out as much, or whatever. Then again, we're back to the allegation that some of this information they are getting is being sequestered and censored and kept from the public. If Ingo Swan was able 10 years before we had a spacecraft to get to Jupiter and do a reality check, and it matches what he had remote viewed 10 years before, isn't that fact enough that remote viewing works so well that we should be using it generally? Exactly. (laughs) But again, they, the people in charge, don't want remote viewing used generally because then we might see through all the lies and deceit that our modern society is built upon and it could cause harm to the bottom corporate line. And as a result, I think there's been a concerted effort not only to denigrate remote viewing but to actually sow dissension and keep the remote viewers themselves squabbling with each other and arguing over protocols and technology so that the public does not get a clear picture. The most fascinating part of your book is called The Enigma Files. Right. After laying a very credible foundation for the science and history of remote viewing, I then went into The Enigma Files, which basically is that every single one of these military government trained remote viewers at one time or another had direct personal knowledge of UFOs. Yes. That's what they could not allow to get out in a credible manner. Ingo Swan told me about his personal experience in the Pentagon of doing a remote viewing target, only latitude and longitude, and when he began to draw It was a submarine that had a disc over or to the side of the submarine. Mm -hmm. And when he was asked, 
by the military authority sitting across from him at a desk, you can't mean a UFO. And Ingo responded, yes, I do. At that moment, they gathered up the paper, the pencils. Everybody left the room, leaving Ingo sitting there by himself. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That is an illustration of several things. He was not tasked to go see a UFO. He was tasked to go see a submarine. And yet when he went and viewed the submarine and there was a UFO nearby, obviously his attention was drawn to the UFO. And this is why each and every one of these spies had personal knowledge of the UFOs. I have been told, and I assume that this is true, that they were never at any time tasked to go look at UFOs. Now, Linda, that only makes sense because how could the government which for 60 years have tried to tell us that there is no such thing, order their official remote viewers to go look at something that they say doesn't exist. But when they went out looking for other things, for example, if they were tasked to go and look in the upper atmosphere for high-performance and high-flying aircraft to see what the Russians or the Chinese or somebody might be testing, they would go up there, they'd see these things flitting through the atmosphere, and they go take a mental look at them. And as one remote viewer told me, they weren't us, and they weren't the Russians. He said those guys weren't even from the neighborhood. The Psy Spies Enigma files also included reports of underground extraterrestrial bases in different parts of Earth. Jim Mars lists the government-controlled remote viewers and their underground base discoveries beginning on page 256 of his Psy Spies book. Quote, The Psy Spies explained that their quest began with NORAD, the North American Defense Aerospace Defense Command, which has a number of satellites called DSPs, Deep Space Platforms, that are more than 500 miles out in space. They monitor missile launches on Earth, utilizing over-the-horizon radar technology. These deep space satellites can pick up the launch signal of any missile fired on planet Earth. What the deep space platforms were not prepared for were high-performance craft coming in from over their shoulder, coming toward the Earth from deep space. These fast-moving objects became known as fast walkers. Page 257 goes into, quote, It didn't take long for the Psy Spies to realize that these fast walkers contained technology that was neither American nor Soviet. Remote viewer Captain David Morehouse said, quote, We found that the fast walkers were manufactured but not by anyone from around here on Earth, he meant, close quote. Other Psy spies were Patrick Price, a former police commissioner and detective from Burbank, California, who had extraordinary psychic abilities, and Captain Frederick Skip Atwater, who was an operations and training officer for the Psy spies unit. Jim Mars reported, quote, when the Psy spies remote viewed and tracked those fast walkers back to their point of origin, they found that they came from subsurface locations, meaning below ground, on our moon 
and from Mars, and that they would come to rest in subsurface below the ground in locations on Earth, close quote. The first sci-spy to search for the bases was Pat Price back in the 1970s, and he later confirmed in the late 1980s and was confirmed by other sci-spies. One day, Pat Price showed up with a report that he had written about four alien bases that he had seen on Earth in his remote viewing. Pat Price reported one underground base is in the Pyrenees Mountains between France and Spain and is an alien transportation hub where the fast walkers come and go off our planet Earth, sort of like their Earth airport. The Pyrenees are a range of mountains in southwestern Europe that form a natural border between France and Spain. They are older than the Alps. Pat Price said a second alien underground base is in Zimbabwe near the city of Harare. That's where the non-human maintenance and repair base is allegedly located. According to 62 schoolchildren and residents in Ruwa, Zimbabwe on September 16, 1994, a round silver craft ringed in red lights landed in the Ruwa schoolyard. Students sketched what they had seen. UFO researcher Cynthia Hind reported that, quote, the door of a craft opened and a little man got out that had on a black suit. He was very slim. All the children, quote, received the same telepathic message from the beings to take care of the planet or civilization will be doomed, close quote. A third alien base, remote viewed by Pat Price, is located under Mount Hayes in Alaska, 90 miles southeast of Fairbanks and 130 miles northeast of Anchorage. Mount Hayes is 13,740 feet, the highest peak in that Alaskan mountain range. Pat Price reported the UFO occupants used this third base to monitor the Earth's pollution ozone layer, and other geophysical patterns about which they were warning us in the future. And the fourth alien underground base that Pat Price remote viewed was in Australia's Northern Territory. Mount Zale is the territory's highest peak at 5,023 feet high, and not far to the southeast is Alice Springs, near where the American National Security Agency operates Pine Gap. Pat Price reported that the non-humans used the nearby Mount Zale as an underground base for rest and recreation either inside the mountain, Mount Zale, or below underground. Jim Mars also reported, quote, the Psy Spies had also come across several species of non-humans. Most of the remote viewers talked about the small greys. I think the lizards were also mentioned. In the four bases, the transportation center in the Pyrenees seems to be primarily under the control of the little greys. But the remote viewers see them working with other species at certain other bases.
<laughs> I, d I don't have those pa those pains. I don't know. All right. I was looking for a, a quote that I was going to relate. Um, but I was really uh, fascinated going back and weaving from today the fact that we have now had essentially confirmation of all of these rocky and metal 30 Earths worth, worth in Jupiter. And that I remember in New York uh, being at a, uh, re what we were doing was being taught by Ingo Swan uh, and having sort of a get together in his place in New York City quite a long ways back. And I was there with some other colleagues and remember the emotion in Ingo Swan's eyes and his face getting kind of pink and red, uh, where he was saying, I saw and I know that there is this mountain range in Jupiter in those clouds and someday they will find out. And it is the summer of 2022 that they have confirmed that there is 9% of this huge planet, 30 Earths, metal and rocks. And so the possibility of finally Ingo Swan being corroborated on all of the things that he had said in remote viewing, including the dust ring that went around the planet, uh, the magnetic fields, everything that he had reported in that once classified remote viewing for the NSA. We are at the year where so much of it has now been confirmed and what people will want is eventually us being able to put some kind of uh, instrument or drone or something down through those thick clouds to see if Ingo, where he said there is a mountain range that is just around the corner, perhaps. And Ian, with that, I would love to get uh, feedback now from our audience about uh, whether or not taking current day headlines and going back and weaving some of the information that gets lost and gets disconnected uh, is helpful because I find doing this program for tonight, how much I begin to see the weaving of all of these disparate pieces over the last uh, 30 or some years of my life that come together when we get headlines like we did this year that so much of Jupiter is metal and rocks. Thank you, Linda. That was an excellent report. It was great to hear from the late, great Jim Mars as well. Yes. May he rest in Dear. peace. And uh, Zip784 says, Godspeed, Jim Mars, too. Yeah, yeah. A, a great soul, a great guy. Uh, all of us used to have the best fun. Uh, you could be with Jim for three hours and laugh for most of the three hours. <laughs> I remember meeting him in 2016, and he was such a great character. Yeah. God rest you, Jim, wherever you are. I know you're in another dimension. That's, that's the next thing we're going to have to learn a lot more about, are the dimensions. Okay, Linda, um, could you hear me? Yes. 
Yeah, uh, we've also had some comments about the remote viewing. Uh, it's interesting that the we always think about the United States intelligence services uh, and military using uh, remote viewing. We've had a comment today from Montauk Time Lord in the UK who says, a friend of mine used to do remote viewing for UK RAF intelligence based at Red Road Manor. Well, I personally have a great respect for the remote viewers that I have been able to talk to and work with, and that has included Lynn Buchanan and uh, Joe McMonagall and being able to talk with Ingo Swan in great depth. He and I, uh, I was doing work in New York for a period of time, and that's when uh, I was in the group where we were at Ingo's place uh, with all his beautiful artwork. He was a great artist. And, uh, and then I got to talk with him many times about uh, remote viewing. And if you start with where I started with tonight's program, that beautiful illustration of the human mind that is linked to the universe, I think this is the part that humans, not only have we been kept dumb and blind, about the fact that we are only one of who knows how many species of other life forms in this particular universe and dimension. But that if we knew the truth, that we have brains that have evolved from the extraterrestrials that manipulated DNA and already evolving primates to create Denisovan and Neanderthal and Cro-Magnon Homo sapien, our species, and that whether they engineered it or however it evolved, that our brains do have an ability to interface with or react in frequencies with even other dimensions as well as frequencies in this matter universe. And remote viewing is, is that. And so learning how to do it and do it in a disciplined way, which is the controlled remote viewing. I know it has been used in all kinds of ways by our government and that it is fascinating because Jim was provoked to do Psy Spies from all of the incredible stories about the remote viewers accessing UFOs, the fast walkers, the uh, other intelligences in those fast walkers, uh, following the fast walkers and finding they were going through in, underwater, under land, into mountains, uh, into the moon, into Mars. And as far as I know, all of that is absolutely the truth. And the the the, the people who have been left out are all of the citizens of Earth. And that is what I hope we are finally going to have the breakthrough sooner than later. Because as a species, we deserve the truth. And the truth might, it might reduce the antagonisms of different species of humans because once you start looking at the sky at night and inside you think of yourself as one life form 
among maybe millions of life forms. I love doing that. I love standing out at night looking at the stars, which here in Albuquerque where I live uh, near the mountain, it's just a gorgeous sky, very little light pollution at all. And, and you can feel, you can feel something in you that is primal and yet at the same time in its being primal, it is modern, it is now, it is connecting to the universe that you see in your eyes and feel in your brain and your soul. And if the whole planet could do that, I just don't see how we would kill each other all the time in wars. <laughs> At least that's a hope I have. So Ian, what other questions, comments do we have? Yes. Don K. Johnson says in 1995, he installed software at a base that was doing Jupiter animations and getting images from the satellites. He says they kicked me out of the room while they were doing the feed. Well, what did, is he uh, somebody that you can ask while we're on uh, our air tonight? Can he send back to you to tell me so I can announce uh, what what specific details did he hear or learn about UFOs and ETs in relationship to the remote viewing that they were doing of Jupiter? Were they remote viewing uh, all the planets in the system? Were they remote viewing fast walkers? That's what would be interesting is to fill in those details. Okay, yes, Don, if you're in the chat still, give us a shout and let us know. Give us some more information. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Here's a comment uh, that I've got here from um, Joanna Cook. She says, why are the atmosphere stripes on Jupiter so horizontal versus the atmosphere on Earth, which is swirling all over the place? It's a very good question, and I will try to find out a specific answer and report that next week. That is a great, great question. Okay, I'm writing it down. Yeah, we've also got some other comments and questions about Jupiter. Nelson Armour says Jupiter is the most powerful natural radio emitter planet in the solar system. Yeah, uh, there is so much about Jupiter. It is this great mystery, and yet uh, in the scientific data of it, it is like it is teaching us in higher and higher and higher courses. So um, is there anybody else who has uh, sent you any message about working in a military operation, or aerospace operation, uh, anything in which they knew that fast walkers could not fit in any human technology? Well, we'll watch out on the feed in the chat tonight. And also, we invite anybody with any information to contact us at earthfires at earthfires.com yes. with any more information. Yes. Dom's back in the chat. He says that it was no remote viewing stuff, just animations. Okay. Animations, but the animations were related specifically to Jupiter and animating what particular physical aspects of Jupiter? That's right. Well, we'll wait to see if we can okay. get more information on that. G. Matt says, I find it interesting that the big red dot on Jupiter changes in brightness and we have no clue why. And that it's a storm that, what, is at least 300 years old? <laughs> yeah, we complain about the weather here. Red and 300 years old. <laughs> yeah, I got a comment, but as we came on the air tonight as well from, um, from uh, uh, somebody who says, 
it's uh, let me just find it now. It's uh, from Bionic Woman in London. She says, my grandson told me the other month that there are aliens on Saturn. He's one of a very long family line who has the same gift as Edgar Casey, including myself. Incidentally, he's just about to turn six. Well, I'll tell you something about Saturn that I've never forgotten. This goes back to when I lived in Denver. I had done my undergraduate work at the University of Colorado in Boulder, and they did my master's work in California in Palo Alto at Stanford. And uh, when uh, I was in, I was in California doing KNBC news and, and documentaries and then, uh, and was married and we ended up uh, living back in Denver where I was at the university. And I knew a lot of the professors there and I had worked on the college newspaper and had done reporting for the newspaper even as an undergraduate. And that's how I knew a lot of, uh, of the professors. And there was a story that broke, and I think it was in the Denver Post or the Rocky Mountain News um, while I was living in Denver, and it was that a specific professor at the University of Colorado in Boulder had been able to um, work with a very specific, I, I, I'm recalling something going back quite a ways, uh, but it had to do with a study of Saturn's rings and that in the process of studying Saturn's rings, they recorded something that was rotating. It might've been a spin fast. It was in one of the, like all those bands of rings and they're flat and when you see the photos, this was a dark object that they caught and it was rotating in the rings. And I got to go up to the university and for a day I spent with this professor. And by then I'd already been exposed to the whole UFO ET world and that's what caught my attention. And he told me that they now felt that this was proof of advanced extraterrestrial technology specifically placed by extraterrestrials in the flat rings in order to generate energy, an energy system for something that the ETs were doing. And I cannot recall his name here sitting here, but I remember that conversation vividly. And, and what I'm sharing with you is he probably never ever uh, talked about it. I don't know that there was ever any publishing about a extraterrestrial technology placed and recorded. That was the part, recorded. In fact, now I'm remembering, he had a frame and he showed me exactly what he was talking about. It wasn't a video recording, it was a frame. And I remember thinking, so much is happening in the work of astronomers and astrophysicists and others who spend their lives studying whether it's a planet or the, the planets or whatever it is. And so much is learned, recorded, filed, and kept entirely secret from the general public. And that is another story that I'm sharing with you
that I had that discussion. And that was the rings in Saturn. Also, in my documentary, Antarctica, Alien Secrets Beneath the Ice, uh, the, uh, th there was, uh, it was in the last half of the documentary, and it was where Spartan uh, 1 was talking about the SEAL, the Navy SEAL, was talking about that he had uh, what was knowledge that had not been shared publicly about there being a extraterrestrial presence that was either blocking energy from the sun, monitoring our sun uh, because there was concern by ETs that there could be some kind of a, a micro nova, an explosion from the sun that could do damage to the earth, and that there was an event where ETs based at Saturn, as if there is some ongoing, like ETs come and go there for a variety of reasons, and that they had done something that the ETs could do that blocked some kind of a, a prominence from the sun going back about, um, it was before 2018, and, and saved us from maybe some problem. So again, Saturn came into that story of ETs operating from Saturn to do something in the solar system. And I just wish we would get to a point where everything that is being learned about other, other life forms, humanoids, in this universe could be shared with all of us and we would all get the details all at the same time so we weren't in pieces, getting pieces here and there that would only uh, be uh, allowed if reality is classified, meaning you can only hear the bits and pieces as long as reality keeps being classified. Let's unclassify reality and learn everything. Okay, Ian. Okay, let's do the super chats this evening. We've got Moonbird, Jean Hi. Kircher, Pedro Alvarado, BK, Tessa Poe, Zip784, Jeannie Nash, Caroline Boyce, Jessica Rodriguez, and Chad Mitchell. We've also got viewers in from all over the United States, Canada, and most of Europe. And we've also got people in from Norway and Iceland and Trinidad this evening. I'd like to give a shout out as well for Amy, Alien Girl 111. I believe she's in Albuquerque too. She's got her own YouTube channel about UFOs. Wow. Well, uh, send me an email at earthfiles at earthfiles.com and maybe we can communicate and cross paths here in Albuquerque. Uh, the, the, uh, the irony is that when you do the Earthfiles YouTube channel and I'm working on uh, some other projects, you end up working 18-hour days and you never have time to sit down and have coffee and talk. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Moon, Moonbird says, um, question for Linda. To your knowledge, did Ingo encode specific remote viewing results into his artwork? That is a very interesting question. If he did, he never said uh, anything like that. This one particular day, I had at conferences and other places had sat down 
uh, with him to talk about various things. This was an entire day at Ingo Swan's place in New York, which you came in on a sidewalk and it was down underneath, uh, it, it, kind of a lovely place actually. And there were, I don't know, five or six men uh, from a variety of different backgrounds. And I had been invited to join them they wanted to ask me questions about UFOs, ETs, and animal mutilations and human abductions, and to introduce me to, uh, I think that was my introduction to Ingo. And he brought out his big binders and showed us uh, the work that he was doing. And, and so that was my, uh, that was my sort of, it had a it had a reason for us being there, and if he ever was using anything from the the books or the material that he was showing us, how he remote viewed in these big binders, it never translated into the incredible art on the walls. He was just a very very gifted uh, human being in so many ways. Go ahead, Ian. Hey, yes, we've also got people in the in the chat from Belize, New Zealand, and Australia this evening. So thank you for oh, joining us I, all I, around the world. I love that feeling that two hemispheres are coming at with us, and we're crossing. In it's sort of like, let's call it the Earth Files YouTube dimension, is becoming global in the frequencies and the people that are being connected and it's just thrilling thank you so much and, let, and let's tell people why they're here to hit the likes and subscribe as well yes um, it would be wonderful soon to uh, break through our what would it be uh, Ian it's 223,000 we're already on 223,000 oh, subscribers we're headed to 224,000 <laughs> I can't keep up with it um, to help us get, we want to get to the 200, and, we said 275,000, we're giving ourselves a, a bigger goal for the next champagne, getting videos, doing a huge thing with you guys. Um, and so the faster that we go to it, uh, it will be because you all have other people you know and say subscribe to the Earth Files YouTube channel. And... Uh, it doesn't cost you anything, but it helps us in YouTube. So down on your, the right corner on your screen, usually there's a little red button. You can subscribe there. And then you can click on a like button if you like what we're all doing here at the Earth Files YouTube channel. Back from Don K. Johnson in the chat. He says uh, he names the base as the NASA Ames Moffett Federal Airfield. He says they were getting images from Jupiter into a computer in the room I was working in. They kicked me out of the room as they got their feed. I thought it was weird that it was such a big secret. Well, what do, does he still have the ability to give us perhaps even an, uh, a hypothesis of why were they downloading the images from Jupiter? It could be something just normal and normal astronomy. Is there something about the downloading of Jupiter at Moffett, the whole Moffett complex in California, uh, and something else that he knew that implies that they were doing something because 
there are other intelligences and the fast walker UFOs or or not. I, that's the only last piece I would like to understand. If he heard something that linked to UFOs, if not, it could have been straight astronomy. But then why would they be upset if he was there? That's the question. Yeah. Anyway, Don, give us a shout. Let us know what, what you find out. Linda, I've got another question here. I do believe in reincarnation, but I was wondering if I don't come back here to if I don't want to come back here to Earth, will I have to? Is there any way of coming back here? This life has treated me so badly that I do not want to come back here. That's a every man question on Earth, I think, for a lot of, a lot of people. And I have read a lot of books related to reincarnation, and I as I listen to that, I feel, I think that there is an organized process. And you could put a capital O and a capital P, meaning cosmic, multi-dimensional, that we're in a frequency in this third dimensional reality that is quite possibly a holographic projection from another dimension. And that third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh, twelfth, taking the twelve dimensional perspective, some say nine, but let's say that there are twelve dimensions. The concept I think that I feel intuitively resonates is that soul recycling is not just on one horizontal dimension, which goes to your question, would you have to come back to earth? If, there, if the big, huge process has to do with souls learning the difference between good and evil, the difference between love and hate, the difference between fear and peace, all of these opposites. It may be that souls now in the three dimension might have to recycle for a certain period of recycling in this particular dimension because this is where a lot of kinks are handled. And then the fourth dimension and the fifth dimension, it's my understanding the fourth dimension might also be a challenge, but that the fifth dimension is one that would meet the definition of peace in heaven heaven on earth as a planet that you would live on in the fifth dimension perhaps. Or it may be that it is light energy or another energy and it's not like this matter. I think a third dimensional soul, depending upon where they are in the recycling and what they have learned, might bypass the fourth and end up in the fifth. 
and uh, Tim from Germany that you've all heard about uh, in the new Truth Hunter series that I'm doing with Gaia. Uh, he speaks profoundly about dimensions. And uh, I think in the next week or two, I'm going to, my next report will be with him and we will get into more of this about dimensions. But he left me, he, in his guiding from what he has learned from greys and other non-humans, he left me with a sense that even if humans look up at the sky and they cannot understand why they are here, they cannot understand as the questioner is asking with anxiety and with angst and with pain in their question, in their voice, I fundamentally, to my core, feel that the truth is that ultimately, if your soul has a difficult time in the third dimension, it will probably go around again in the third dimension. But that the thought that dwells in the light, that the divine field, ultimately wants every soul that knows love, that knows peace, that wants truth, those souls are to evolve through the dimensions back to the thought that dwells in the light, that that's the whole goal. And that going through all these dimensions and all of these frequencies, that's the process. And that the third dimension that we're in, even if it's projected as a hologram from another dimension or another universe, as odd as that is, it may be that that also reinforces the entire concept that we are in a universe that is a huge school. And the school is for the souls because the souls are the ones that take in all of the learning in the recycling of all the dimensions. It is the souls that are doing the learning, the retaining, and are involved with the process moving because the matter containers have shelf lives. And I don't pretend to understand it all, it all, in any way, shape, or form. I, I am simply trying to share some of the pieces that in my own life, in my discussions with people like Tim from Germany, in uh, places I have been, like uh, in Peru and in uh, other places that I have met and talked with people who were either religious scholars or who worked in religion. I've had deep, deep discussions with people who, this is what they have devoted their life to. And it is so interesting that everybody really does have 
essentially the same questions. But you can't give up. Don't give up. Just keep trying to make the next day a better day for you that will be a better day for your soul. And look at the stars at night and feel a connection to that force. That force that is the thought that's in the light and it's also in the opposite, which is the darkness that the stars shine in. But if you begin to take in and it, you feel it and you feel a frequency that it has, the thought that dwells in the light in the divine field is where everything, I think, is ultimately evolving. And then maybe it is a huge burst of light and a whole nother process begins again. That was some of the information that Roger Penrose and I talked about in the interview I did with him, and I reference it often because he left me thinking so deeply. And another book is David Bohm's uh, Wholeness. Wholeness and the Implicate Order. If you read that one book, David Bohm, B-O-H-M, Wholeness and the Implicate Order, in a strange way, from pure physics, it's also what we're talking about when we start talking dimensions, universes, and the animating soul that has a connection to something that is not finite as the matter does. And that to me is one of the big mysteries. To love life and keep on going forever. It seems like it's a possibility somehow, somewhere. But in this universe, in this dimension, on this planet, and I'm sure on others, biological life has shelf lives. And you're asking, can you have a bad shelf life on planet Earth in one of those lives and then go on to another dimension where maybe it's all light? I would say just don't give up. Keep, keep going, keep evolving. That's what we all need to do all the time. Ian, it is almost the end of the hour, but I'll take one more question. That was very deep and profound. Thank you, Linda. Just before we do, I'll give you a, a comment from Christina Ledesma Jimenez. She says, thank you, Linda, for continuing to give us amazing information and mind-blowing conversations. And thank I've got you. one more question thank here you. from thank Linda you. Winkler. She says, please ask Linda if the men in black are human or alien. Thank you. If you give us your best evidence, Linda, thank you. It is definitely a facet of the extraterrestrial biological entity subject. If you break it down into total unknowns, 
where people have, uh, let's say, that they have, uh, oh, I know, because it kind of combines. They're different men, men in black. I have shared with you all here at the Earth Files YouTube channel my own experience with the very tall hulk, all black, all dark, with no face or features, just this big hulk moving into a bedroom in Boston uh, where my husband and daughter and I lived in, uh, that was in 1990. That was the fall of 1990. It was black against black in the night when I became aware that I was paralyzed and I, uh, I had thought voices as if they were trying to help me uh, to break this paralysis. And that when I was freed and then I see the black hulk coming toward the side of the bed and it's terrifying, but I cannot do anything. Uh, my husband was there, and it's like so many people in the abduction syndrome. You, you, whatever you're trying to do, you can't get either sound out or you can't reach or whatever it is, as if you are put in some kind of a controlling space that's completely unconnected with the space right around you but you don't understand it. It's probably a technology. And in this particular case, this big black hulk, as it was getting closer and closer and uh, I, ha I was terrified for a while, and then this, the, the, the whole about 12 foot, 13 foot, 14 foot ceiling was a big old big room was filled with this blazing white cross. And as the blazing white cross came in, this stopped. And this thought voice, is it my soul? Is it an invisible non-human? What is it? The thought voice, clear as can be, say the Lord's prayer and don't stop repeating it. Repeat the Lord's Prayer over and over. And I immediately, looking at the white cross, started saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and on and on. And this black hulk was just there. And it, I have no idea how long it lasted, but eventually it just faded away. A warm breeze came in, uh, and I fell back against the pillow and realized I was drenched in perspiration. And the thought voice, the same one that said, say the Lord's Prayer and say it over and over, don't stop. The same thought voice, it's not my voice, it's not anybody I know, it's, it's a voice I have heard throughout my life. And I always think of it as somehow my soul has information and it's giving me information that way, but I'm not sure. But it's always been there. And the thought voice says, as I come back against the pillow, you will never have to fight for your soul again. So that is an experience of my own 
that involves an unknown black hulk with no face, nothing I could see, woven with a fight for my soul, woven with who is giving the information. Now, take that, let's go to another one of the facets, the shadow people. The shadow people are not a big black hulk. The shadow people look like a human form that suddenly comes out of a growing ball of light in the middle of a room and they can come out one, two, three, and they look like shadows. And usually this is an abduction facet and they see the shadow people come out of the light and the light is clearly, it's a transportation beam of some sort. But most people don't remember anything, what happens between them and the shadow people when the shadow people come out of the light. Now, let's move to the third category, the men in black. The men in black have different descriptions in terms of size, height, but they're never described as a black hulk. They're never described as a shadow. They are described as having usually a face of a pointed chin gray with black sunglasses on or black eyes, wearing a hat often with a brim, as if mimicking some old 1930s version of a man dressed. And the men in black are, are generally associated with bad luck, something bad happening, uh, a foretelling of something coming in the future uh, that will be bad. So are they a version of extraterrestrial biological entities that masquerade by a technology that puts them in this hat and garb or not? And I have, in my own books and work, I've received so many different drawings and illustrations of people, and they call it the man in black. But when you look at the illustration that they send, it looks like a man from the 1930s with a hat and a suit on standing at the foot of a bed. So now, is there any common denominator to any of those? Is there a link that would explain all of them at the same time? It gets hard to say yes. And so we are always in this UFO phenomena. We are left with facets. The facets are repeated around the world, but the facets sometimes contradict each other sometimes reinforce each other. And this is why <laughs> I have been trying to get to the bottom of this gigantic mystery since 1979 with animal mutilations. And it's 43 years later. And I feel that I have more facets to investigate, study, try to absorb, try to give back some meaning, some uh, insight, some truth than ever before. It is the biggest, most sometimes contradictory, confusing, 
inspiring, provoking is, I think, because we are in the moment of meeting, handshake, intersection between us, a genetically created species by extraterrestrials, reaching a point in time where maybe we are finally going to be introduced to the extraterrestrial biological entities who manipulated DNA in already evolving primates on this planet. And we are one of those consequences. When people say, well, how can that be true if there's the Bible? It's a huge subject. But I do not find anything in the Bible anywhere that actually I'm talking about if you take everything that's there the whole Bible does not contradict other life forms in the universe interacting with earth or any other planets the whole work of the divine seems to be made up of frequencies and cycles and that whether you're talking about divine angels or the thought that dwells in the light at the greatest and highest of frequencies, everything comes down to starting, growing, evolving. Why? And we come back full circle. The souls in the containers throughout this universe all other universes, all dimensions. The process is learning, and I hope always learning to go away from hate, to go away from death, to go away from darkness, toward the thought that dwells in the light, always, forever, and feeling the excitement of us being able to start moving out from the surface of this planet to our solar system and beyond and finally meeting what I understand the Space Command has already been meeting in other galaxies, or in, well, Andromeda one, but in other solar systems uh, since 1972. And that disconnect between what is actually happening and what we know on Earth is a frustration. And I hope that coming to the Earth Files YouTube channel, like tonight and next week and on and on, that what we're doing is that we have created a space where people around the world, we can come forth, you can write me, I can share with you material that hopefully is going to help all of us, no matter what comes next. It's going to help all of us make a handshake with each other, as well as other intelligences from here to infinity. So on that note, I thank you for tonight. Chocolate is here. Chocolate thanks you. I'll see you next week.
Thanks for listening to this Earth Files podcast from the edges of science, environment, and real X-Files. Go to www.earthfiles.com to see more than a thousand Earth Files reports with photographs, drawings, and documents. And visit Earth Files every day, every week, for new reports and new podcasts. That's www.earthfiles.com. 